What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Out of Character. I'm your host, Ryan Satin, and this week we've got new SmackDown commentator Wade Barrett on the program. Lots of fun stuff with him. Obviously, he had uh, a very, very interesting WWE career, but also he's had an interesting career as a commentator, and we get into all of that. But before we get into that, I got to do a tiny bit of housekeeping here. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you are subscribed to the Out of Character podcast feed. So not just the, the video here. There's an audio feed. There's a podcast feed as well. And each week on the podcast feed, you can get content that you're not getting here on YouTube. There are two weekly Raw and SmackDown roundup shows, Monday night and Friday night. I'm covering each show, breaking it down segment by segment, giving you my thoughts on everything that happened. And if you didn't watch, also letting you know what you missed. So make sure that you are subscribed to the Out of Character podcast feed. That's where you can find those two shows. There's also a best of that comes out on Sunday where you can get a little bit of everything that's been on the podcast feed. So make sure that you're subscribed to the Out of Character podcast feed. All right. I know that's not what you wanted to hear. You want to hear my conversation with new SmackDown commentator Wade Barrett. So let's get to it. Let's get into this. Wade Barrett, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. I'm a huge fan of yours, have been for a long time, and I have a bunch of stuff I want to ask you. But first, I want to ask you the same thing I ask every guest to start off the show, and that's how much of your real true self is there in the character that you play on TV? I would say the character I play on TV is probably a far more upbeat version of myself. Uh, most people who know me know that I'm pretty insular. I'm a, an introvert, pretty quiet. I don't tend to leave the house too often. I've got to obviously flip that switch when the camera's on. So, um, yeah, I can be pretty opinionated with friends, and I try and bring that side of me uh, to the show. But for the most part, yeah, it's me. I, I, in normal life, I'm about a three, but obviously on SmackDown and NXT, I'm going to turn that all, all the way to a ten. What words would you use to describe your off-screen personality? Um, miserable is probably the first one. Quiet. Um, you know what? I just I, I tend to keep to myself. I'm not somebody at the age of 42 now who you're going to see hitting the bars and, and going to the hustle and bustle. I quite like the, the peaceful life, the quiet life, which is ironic because I'm living in L.A., but it's not necessarily my own choice to be living here. But, uh, yeah, I, I tend to keep away from the hustle and bustle. I get enough of that through professional wrestling, through SmackDown and NXT, and um, yeah, for the most part, I like the quiet life. Whose choice was it for you to live in LA? It's the missus. It's not down to me, that's for sure. I'd be living on the side of a mountain somewhere if it was up to me, probably somewhere cold, wet, and cloudy. Um, but uh, the missus uh, desires to live here, so I'm here for the time being anyway. <laughs> well, I, it's funny that you say that you'd rather do all those things, because yeah, when I was looking through your, your social media, one, not using it a lot, and two, I definitely noticed the vibes seem to be outdoorsmen, like fishing, being outside in some capacity. Yeah, that's right. Just away from the crowds. I've never naturally been a people person. I remember my dad when I was younger asking me what, it, what I wanted to do for a living. And this was prior to me deciding that I was going to go and chase professional wrestling. But I, I just told him, I don't know what I want to do, but whatever it is, I don't want to work with other people. I just want to do something on my own. And then he figured out quite quickly that there literally are no jobs out there where you could, can't work with other people. So I had to have a, a rethink at that point and figure it out. And somehow I ended up being on TV in front of millions of people every week. So uh, I didn't quite nail that one. Um, but it's worked out pretty well for me. Well, it worked out to, for a heel for sure. I mean, you were, you were a great bad guy. So someone who is already annoyed by everyone is perfect for a heel. <laughs> I must have softened in my old age. I'm not quite that bad anymore. Um, I think I bring less of that, that nasty character with me these days. I think I'm a lot calmer. Well, married life and, and uh, you know, old, older age will, will do that for sure. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, okay, so wait, are you, so do you fish a lot? Uh, I used to when I was younger, uh, not so much since I moved to the U.S. I like doing a bit of sea fishing. I was fishing probably about three weeks ago. I was on vacation up in Big Bear Lake near Los Angeles. Um, didn't catch anything, so clearly I'm out of practice. <laughs> yeah, I saw you said, uh, I saw, when I was looking through your tweets, I liked one of your 
some advice you had. You said, after 40 years on earth, I now feel qualified to pass on some wisdom to younger people. So here are my rules for a happier life. Take every opportunity to jump in the ocean, even when it's bloody freezing, and always drink the local beer. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. And talking of bloody freezing, give me two seconds. I've got to turn the air conditioning on. We've got a heat wave here suddenly in Los Angeles. It's killing me. I'll be two seconds. Yeah, Hold yeah, on. Yeah. It's so hot here in L.A. I don't know if we're going to cut this part You're out. in L.A. too. Oh, I'm yeah, I'm in L.A. too. I should, have, I should have done that before. No, 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 bro. Like, it's so hot out here lately. I live in the Valley, <laughs> and it's even hotter there, too. So I'm just like, it's it's so hot. And my fiance hates running the A.C., so I'm, like, in a constant battle with her on the A.C. Ah, uh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> but she wins. Turn, so. turn it up to the max. That's yeah. my policy on air conditioning. That's Must my policy, too, dude, especially when we're in a heat wave, dude. Although, we, I don't know if we could say that on the uh, on, on video because everyone's like, oh, you're supposed to save the energy. But I'm like, nah, dude, I am pumping that <laughs> A.C. during this heat wave. Pumping it. I'm going on drive just so I can be in my own A.C. in the car. <laughs> the funny thing is I live in LA and I, I usually work in Orlando. So I don't actually own a winter jacket at all. And then tomorrow I'm flying up to Toledo, Ohio, where I believe it's currently about 35 degrees over there. So I'm uh, going to figure out something real quick. have <laughs> to make a quick dash and get a jacket tonight, I think. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, that and SmackDown, when did you first find out that you'd be moving to SmackDown? And um, so I probably found out maybe three or four days before I took the first trip over. Um, it was very much a last minute decision. I know Pat McAfee's off for uh, two or three months doing his college football stuff. Initially, they had Corey Graves stepping in and, and filling the seat. Um, but I think Corey probably had a lot on his plate. He does a hell of a lot for WWE with all the pay-per-views and Raw too, and he's got his podcast. Um, so I think maybe somebody needed to pick up a little slack on behalf of Corey. So that's when... They gave me the call and asked me to step in there. Okay, so considering that you had been so ingrained in NXT the last few years, though, were you surprised that you were being switched for the time being? No, I think my history in the entertainment sphere in general, but especially in WWE, you've always got to be ready to pivot. I love NXT. I hope to be back there sooner or later in some capacity, um, hopefully commentating. Um, but I think you've always got to be ready to pivot in this game. Things change fast, as we've seen. The past 18 months in WWE have been absolutely insane for all of us. Um, so you've always got to be ready. I love NXT. I thought that was going to be my future for the foreseeable, but you get that call, you've got to be ready to jump, but it's been that way since I was in the developmental system. I flew over in 2007 to Louisville, Kentucky, and Ohio Valley Wrestling, um, and very quickly after moving there, within a few months, they were like, okay, we need you to go down to FCW now. And I spent a couple of years there and suddenly got the call, right, in three days, you're going to be on NXT season one. And, you know, it's always been that way. So you can never get too comfortable in any position, um, but you've always got to be ready to jump as soon as that call comes. That's funny that it was uh, the NXT thing and this, both just a couple days advance notice. Such huge things for your career, just a couple days notice. Yeah, it's true. And a lot of people, especially some of the younger guys in this industry, get really frustrated because they can't force opportunities. And of course, there's a bunch of people in NXT and the developmental system. They want to be on Raw. They want to be on SmackDown already. And they're starting beating themselves up because they might not be getting that call when they want it. It's one of those games. It's really hard to force an opportunity. You've just got to get yourself in a position where when that call does come, and if you're good enough, it is eventually going to come, um, you're ready to go and, and hit. 100 miles an hour the second they give you that call and, and put you on Raw SmackDown. And uh, that's just how it is. I was frustrated when I was in Florida Championship Wrestling, not getting that call, seeing other people get called up. Um, but like I said, when that call did come, thankfully I was prepped and ready to go. Did you give that advice to people at NXT? Like, did people kind of confide in you for that sort of thing? Because you do, you know, you have such a history of like, waiting for that next big opportunity. And like, I feel like you have developed an, a really good patience because of it. Yeah, this stuff I give, there's advice I give to some of the young people in NXT when they come up and, and quiz me on stuff. Um, rarely do I give them advice on how to operate in the ring. Sometimes I'll give them character advice or promo advice. That's an area I've always felt very comfortable. Um, but especially life advice in general, that's something I feel that I can deliver. There's a lot of people like, Terry Taylor and Fit Finley and Norman Smiley and all these great coaches down in NXT who can help them with the in-ring stuff better than I can. But I feel there are areas of the business that I've 
been through that I can help some of these young guys and girls out with. And uh, if they come to me for advice, I'll always try and help them. Has it been uh, like difficult at all making the switch to SmackDown? Because you had this, you know, chemistry built in. You knew the the the, the, the what you were doing. You had it just locked down, flying to Florida every week. Now you're on the road again. You got new 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 people you're talking to. Uh, different, you know, got Cole there next to you. Has has it been difficult to make that transition at all so far? I wouldn't say it's been too difficult, to be honest with you, and I don't want to sound too arrogant when I say that. Um, I've got a lot of experience in this game. I feel within myself pretty confident um, that I can do a job to the best of my abilities. Whether people like that or not is kind of out of my control. Um, you're right, it's been a fun couple of years in NXT. I've worked very closely with Vic Joseph, who has been a fantastic partner um, on the commentary booth. As much as we bicker, um, he really is a fantastic commentator, and he's helped me progress and develop um but now to get this opportunity to sit in the hot seat next to the goat of commentary michael cole who's been the absolute best in the business for the past 25 years stack on top of that that right now smackdown is the highest watched professional wrestling show on planet earth i feel incredibly lucky that i get to sit in that hot seat right now so it's a, a real blessing for me a hell of an opportunity and uh, all i can really do is go out there and give it my best and hope that people like it Michael Cole doesn't didn't get enough love for a long time. I think people are starting to kind of give him his flowers more now, but man, he has been so good for so long. That's right. And I had this chat with Vic Joseph uh, a little while ago, and I didn't really understand for a while why Michael Cole, as good as he is, was constantly just getting so much flack, especially when you went on social media and things like that. And my personal opinion is that he was really, really liked by wrestling fans until around 2010, 2011. That's when he did that heel character and he was getting in the ring. And um, it started off very entertaining, I think, when he did that. But I think it kind of went on too long and became a bit overbearing. And I think management were pushing him to continue this character, which was dominating all of our shows. And I think people from our fan base kind of got tired of that. And that's been a hangover he's suffered ever since in with regards to the the fan base i speak to cole about it. he doesn't care what people say online he's the last guy who worries about that but i think finally last couple of years people have kind of seen him for what he is which is this brilliant broadcaster this amazing guy who's directed the show really um from a commentary perspective for the past 25 years now and um everyone within the company both the in-ring talent and the the broadcasters and management realize how good Michael Cole is. There's no doubt from within the company how brilliant he is as a commentary um, person. So, uh, I mean, social media is what it is. Sometimes they get on a wave of criticism of some of the in-ring guys, some of the commentators, some of the directors, various personnel, um, and it goes in waves. And sometimes you're the you're the bad guy for a while, and other times you're the big hero, and that's just how it is. Yes, uh, absolutely. It's funny. It's funny that you mentioned heel Cole because – he said something on SmackDown last week, and it was the first time like it reminded me of that era in a long time. He called the the two enhancement guys jobbers after they lost. He was like, "Oh, I just beat those two jobbers oh, yeah, up," and I was like, "Get you call, call, call them a couple of jabronis." Yeah. To be fair, I will defend my. That's yeah, what it was jabroni. That's what he called them. When he said it, I that, thought it was hilarious when he said it. I will defend Cole on that one. So um, I think it was during Braun Strowman's match. Yeah, it was a two on one. It was a couple. I, couple of local talents, as yes. we, we call them in the industry, that were having a two-on-one match with the monster among monsters, Braun Strowman. I think Strowman had put something on his Twitter a couple of days earlier about how you can throw any jabronis at me, I'm going to beat them all. I think that's what he was trying to reference. <laughs> okay. I think we got a call in our ear very quickly after he started speaking. Look, we've got to throw to the next segment. And um, so he wasn't able to reference really why he was calling these poor guys jabronis. That's where that came from. So in defense of Michael Cole, he's not out there just burying people. It, it came across even funnier than I think he intended. It, it, um, it was yeah, so funny because it just, it was so like, because <laughs> you're right. He had that era where he would like roast people and he's holding up angry signs and I hate what I'm watching, uh -huh. but he's so not that guy anymore. So when I was, I was typing out my notes for the podcast and when he, yeah, when, yeah, uh, jabroni, not jobber. When he said that, it made me do like a double take, like, whoa, we don't really see that from him. So yeah, that, that <laughs> makes sense now. <laughs> well, you, you tweeted something too that I thought was cool. You said, uh, 
Not gonna lie, heading out on SmackDown and hearing my old theme for the first time in over six years, spine tingling, hashtag boom. How cool was that? Just to hear your theme and walk out to the crowd like that again. It was very cool. I used to, like, genuinely, it's six and a half years since I left SmackDown in um, 2016. The, uh, basically, the Tuesday after WrestleMania that year was my, my final day with the company, and I left. Uh, my whole time in NXT, we haven't been doing entrance music or, or big grand entrances for the commentary team because it's such a quick transition between NXT level up um, onto the NXT show. We just don't have time for all the, the showbiz stuff. So they slot us into the seats very quickly. I don't get any of my entrance music or any of that stuff. Just get to the seat. Okay, we're live. Go. Um, so to actually come to SmackDown and have the full entrance and have people yelling boom and stuff, it was it felt pretty cool. And I used to... I remember my old entrance. I had my timing down. There was it's kind of like a heartbeat sound as as my music kicks in. A little bit of the guitar, and then there's a moment where I shout "boom" in there. About 15 seconds in, my timing on that first day back was way off. I I normally threw a bull hammer on the the first boom, and I tried to throw it. I got the wrong timing. The boom came a few seconds later, and I was like, "Wow, I'm really out of practice at this." But yeah, cool moment hearing that again. I kind of completely forgot that that was my theme and that was my entrance and i was staring up at the big tron and seeing my name on there and yeah it felt, felt kind of like 2010 again the first time you have that experience and it's nice to feel that that buzz once again well i mean like you said you stepped away on your own accord it's not like you were forced to retire or anything like that and i know that in the time away you've been very okay with just being not in the ring and just doing your commentary thing but when you have something like that happen where it feels like 2010 again, does it make you, does it give you the itch a little bit more? Yeah, always. You know what? I've never ruled out getting back in the ring one day. I won't say it's high on my list of priorities. I don't think I could physically do the full-time grind anymore. I don't think my, more mentally than, than physically, I think uh, my body could hold up for me. I'm still in very good shape. I keep myself fit. Uh, but I think that mental grind of, of doing that job full time for um, for who knows how long would be very difficult for me at this point because I've I've just got other avenues now and other things I enjoy doing. Uh, most obviously the commentary side of things, which I wouldn't want to give up. Um, but yeah, I'll say walking down to that ring, hearing people yelling "boom" to me, and you know, it's it does start to make you think, oh, maybe I've got a little left in the tank. But then. That was my first night back. And, of course, you'll remember the main event of that show, which was Gunther against Sheamus. And I'm seeing these two for three segments of the show beat the hell out of each other. I'm seeing it up close and personal. I'm seeing the bruises. And suddenly I'm like, you know what? Two hours ago I felt like I wanted to get back maybe. Now I'm watching these two. I'm like, hell no. Because I know if I come back, they ain't putting me with the light guys. They're putting me in with Sheamus and Gunther and Drew. And I'm getting my ass whooped every week. So I'm like, eh. You know what? This commentary desk is a lot safer. I might stay here for a bit. It's kind of comfortable. Okay. I got a water here. I got an energy drink right here. That's a little right. Yeah. iPad a text during the commercial break. I don't have to fake tan. I don't have to do any of that stuff. It's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because 100%, everyone knows if you come back, especially now that you're on SmackDown, it's 100% going to be you and Seamus and Drew McIntyre against Imperium. Like, that's, that's the match yeah. that people want to see. <laughs> I mean, which will inevitably end up with Seamus giving me a bro kick. I already know how this whole arc of storyline will finish <laughs> because every time I had any interaction with Seamus across my entire career, I always ended up with his big size 14 boot right in my nose. So, yeah, I already know where that one's going, guys. I'll, I'll, I'll let them pitch it to me, but in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, how long till that bro kick comes? <laughs> just he just for fun he just like for old time's sake he would 100 percent. oh that. yeah oh yeah i know all about it mate <laughs> has there even like in the whole you get back a couple of years now like has there been any conversation of even them being like hey do you want to make a royal rumble appearance has there like been any conversation whatsoever about like if you want just tell us yeah nothing at all and i've been um i was quite adamant when i came back when i signed my um original deal um, that I didn't want to be taking bumps. I didn't want to be doing anything other than um, the commentary. I think if I pulled somebody aside and said to Triple H or Shawn Michaels or whoever it may be, hey, I would be interested in doing that, I think they would be receptive to hearing me out. But it's not something I've done. It's not something they've approached me with. Um, and I'm quite happy with that for now anyway. Well, I feel like 
Like are, when Pat McAfee comes back, are you just going to give him your seat? Or cause I feel like that might be a match right there. Like you versus Pat, figure out <laughs> who gets to keep that seat. Well, 10 years ago, I would have fancied my chances against Pat McAfee. I'm very rusty, and I think he's proved in his, his several escapades in the ring so far that he can really go. So I feel like that's another L for old Wade Barrett if I did get in the <laughs> ring with McAfee right now. I'd need to have a few warm-up matches before I tried to take on somebody of that stature. So, yeah, if he wants the, if he wants the chair back, I think I'm going to have to, you know, politely give it to him and, and try and make my way back to NXT. Maybe fight Booker T. He's, he's as rusty as I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, speaking of SmackDown, uh, well, let's talk about some of the storylines going on on SmackDown right now. What did you think of Bray Wyatt's return promo? You know what? I loved it. It was exciting seeing him come back at Extreme Rules, kind of out of the blue. There have been some rumors on social media. Um, I wasn't at that particular show, but of course I was there last Friday at SmackDown. I didn't know what to expect. The, the, the funny thing is we get a run sheet as, commentary, as the, the commentary team. We know exactly which matches are coming up, and uh, we knew that final segment, segment 11, the end of the show, was going to be the Bray Wyatt return. I had no information in that script or in that, that run sheet about what he was going to say. I'd seen no rehearsals or anything like that. So I had no idea. So I was open mouth like the rest of us. I wasn't expecting at all to see what we saw from Bray Wyatt, which was, was a very human and vulnerable side of him. It's just something we've never come close to seeing before from him. Um, and then what the hell was going on with that face on the on the big screen, uh, interrupting him. I'm intrigued to see where we're going next on that one. Um, I genuinely have no clue. And it's kind of one of the cool parts of being a commentator is when you get surprised like that and you, you get some genuine reactions. We were staying very quiet throughout the whole thing. We didn't want to take away from it, but... Um, it's cool as a commentator to, to get that surprise and have questions in my mind and not have all the answers, just like our fans. I'm really intrigued right now. It makes me want to watch next the next week. It makes me want to see what he's going to do. And so, yeah, that promo, I also wasn't expecting him to kind of just like be a version of uh, closer to himself. Yeah, and I think that's one of the best things that's happened over the past few months in WWE is that we're constantly guessing. Um, you know, you get these random returns of people you never thought you'd see again or who, who had been cut maybe three months earlier and suddenly they're back. And I've called it online the unpredictable era. Uh, and to me, it's one of the coolest things about it. And I remember as a fan during the Attitude Era when I was 16, 17, 18 years old and I couldn't turn away, the, the most appealing thing about it to me was I couldn't wait for next week because I had no clue what the hell was going to happen on the show. And uh, that's, I feel, something we're getting back to now on Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. Yeah, absolutely. I'm As a Attitude-era kid myself, I felt like this whole Bray Wyatt thing was very reminiscent of, like, Jericho coming back or when The Undertaker became the American Badass. Just, like, stuff that made you go, like, oh, what's, what's that about? Like, I want to know what that's about. So, yeah, I agree. And speaking of returns and switches and changes, uh, I'm sure you were happy to also see that Max Dupree became L.A. Knight again. Oh, hell yeah. One of my favorites from NXT, man. I've uh, sung his praises now for the best part of probably 18 months since he arrived in NXT. He's a guy who should have had the spotlight on him for the past 10 years. One of those rare cases that a guy has managed to slip through the cracks. Maybe he wasn't the right face at the right time at various points in his career, but I'm thrilled for him that he hit so many home runs in NXT on this most recent trip there, and it's about time that the world, if they hadn't seen him before in NXT, the world got to witness just how great he is. One of the best entertainers, one of the best mic men I think we have in the entire industry. Uh, and yeah, I'm his cheerleader. So very happy to see him back. Um, the guy's a damn megastar and he's going to be uh, really, really big for WWE over the next few years. What about Sami Zayn? Are you, uh, are you on board with everybody else and him being one of the most entertaining people in WWE right now? Oh, okay. I thought you were going in a different direction. Yeah, you're 100% completely entertaining. I'm not necessarily on board with him being the Bloodline's best guy or be, being this honorary use. He's, uh, there's something incredibly suspicious about the whole setup. I like Sami Zayn a lot. Brilliant entertainer, brilliant in-ring performer. Um, something doesn't feel right about Sami Zayn in the Bloodline to me, and he might not appreciate me saying that. I feel like there's going to be a twist in the tail sooner or later. He seems to be sowing some division within family here. What Roman sees in him 
um, is different to perhaps what I see in him. I'm a little more skeptical about his motivations for joining the bloodline. So I'm very interested to see where that whole storyline plays out. I'm sure if he heard that, he would say that's not very oozy of you to suggest. But <laughs> I'm not an oozy guy. I already told you that. I like to stay away from human beings. I'm the least oozy <laughs> guy on the planet. <laughs> yeah, I, that, speaking of intrigue, that's another one where I go like, I want to know where that's going. I'm so intrigued as to like what's happening there, what's going to go on in, with Sami Zayn because – there's so many options. It's either, like you said, he's up to no good or he actually does have good intentions. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm enjoying being along for the ride. Uh, who, do you think, who do you think would win in a match between the Bloodline and 2010 Nexus? <laughs> oh, man, I would love to say 2010 Nexus. But let's face it, we didn't win many matches, did we? <laughs> Unfortunately. Which is one of the biggest crimes in the history of professional wrestling. I'm sure most people would agree with me on that one. Um, I, I would have to say the bloodline. I really hate admitting that because Nexus is something I am very proud of, despite the fact we have a pretty poor win-loss record. Um, but the bloodline, they've been as dominant as anybody in the history of professional wrestling. They're right up there with Degeneration X and, and the NWO for me. And uh, maybe Nexus is that next tier down from that. Do you, so you look back on that period of your career with fondness, I take it? I have to. you got to remember um, a couple of things. Number one, that was an avenue for me to go from a guy who had dreamed about being a WWE superstar for many, many years and had scratched and clawed and spent the last few years of his life living with cockroaches and driving a car around Tampa Bay, the one of the hottest places in the US. And my car, I couldn't afford one with, AC, with air conditioning. So I was just sweating bullets all the time. So to suddenly go from that life to being, okay, I'm now earning some good money and, and being a star. Um, number one, that was huge for me. So just that change of lifestyle that came with it and um, achieving those dreams and, and being a WWE superstar is something I was very proud of. And on top of that, that was such a big moment in time in WWE that you see a lot of people coming up from the developmental systems over the years who debut on TV, they don't really get any traction and within a few months they've gone. And there was a lot of people from FCW around that era who had that experience of debuting, losing a couple of matches and, and essentially being cut. Um, but that moment in Nexus for me, as bad as it kind of petered out towards the end, it really set me up to have the run that I had for the next six or so years on WWE, continue and embed myself as a WWE superstar, and then continue now in my role as a commentator. I mean, to be in the position I'm at, I had to have had a career of some significance in WWE in order to be eligible to be sitting in the seat I'm in now. And uh, um, that's all really stems from the success, certainly initially, of that Nexus group and, and what we did then. I like how you keep adding that little asterisk at the end of like, in the beginning, in the beginning. Yeah, the beginning. it started so well, didn't it? Probably the first two or three months I thought were brilliant. And then um, it rapidly, I think, uh, degenerated from there and, and went downhill, which if we could go back in time, I think with the brain and the confidence I have now, I think I would have been a bit more vocal and a, a bit more forthcoming in knocking on certain people's doors and explaining to them why they were making a big mistake in some of the decisions they were making. Um, but, you know, the body I had as a younger man with the brain I have now would have been the perfect combination, but I'm sure many people in any industry would probably say something similar. Yeah, you. oh no, you always see the people online who go like, oh, why did they just say something? Like, you hear Stone Cold on his podcast just say, go talk to them, and it's like, well, it's not that easy just to do that, yeah, like, you know? It's, it's, it's definitely easy when you're Stone Cold Steve Austin, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, when, when you're a bunch of nobodies up from developmental, who, even during Nexus, we weren't even allowed in the locker room. We were changing in the hallways, really? and we really had no equity. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who, like I said, Three months before Nexus, I was living in a house that was full of cockroaches. That was all I could afford. And, you know, okay, you could go knocking these doors, upset everyone, and then essentially get fired. Or you could kind of go with the flow. You've got to pick your battles. And um, certainly at that point in time, none of us in Nexus were in any position financially to be, you know, risking our future and, and the security that would come with a, a run with WWE. So um, it's easy now when you look back to say, oh, I wish I'd done that. And maybe me now, I would be able to do that. But there's a bunch of wide-eyed kids who were very job scared at that point in time. It was a hell of a lot more difficult.
Well, you hear about like someone like The Miz who pissed people off and or someone off, and then he had he couldn't change in the locker room. How come you guys weren't allowed to change in the locker room? Yeah, genuinely, it was one of the dumbest things that I've experienced in my time in WWE. There was a person who was put in charge of us, who is no longer with the company, who decided that it would be um, appropriate for a faction of guys who were attacking the company um, to not be allowed in the locker room. Which would absolutely make sense because in terms of Nexus, we were coming out of the crowd. We were perceived as outsiders who hadn't earned contracts in WWE. Um, so it kind of made a bit of logical sense. That, yeah, yeah, but you did actually have a contract in WWE. It's so, so sure, like... sure, but, we, but we, were, we, we were also attacking all the other superstars constantly. So it kind of made sense. Okay, these guys shouldn't be... Um, regular WWE superstars, right? They shouldn't be seen with the other superstars outside of the arena. The problem I have with it is, look, you're not actually filming us changing in the locker room. You're not filming the locker room itself. So nobody has any clue that we're changing in hallways instead of the locker room, apart from basically the people who work within the company. So why are we doing this? Why am I main eventing Survivor Series? Why are we all main eventing SummerSlam? Uh, yeah, I'm not eligible to step in the locker room here. I've got to change in the hallway um, as, you know, dinner ladies and, and catering staff and cleaners are like walking past while I'm putting my gear on. I'm like, this is this is stupid. There's no benefit to this. There's no payoff to this whatsoever. So again, something that I was frustrated with at the time, but not in a position to really go and rattle some cages about. Man, so wait, how long, when did you guys finally get allowed into the locker room? So I think we finally got in the locker room. It was probably when uh, Nexus kind of broke apart around about the end of December 2010, which was probably six or seven months into our run. And then a few of us moved over to SmackDown as the core. And that was the point. Okay, you guys are now eligible to step into the locker room. So great. Man, what a what a big payoff that was. That really enhanced the storyline. Thank you, guys. And then I was in. <laughs> The locker room after that so yeah, yeah very very silly it was kind of endemic of some old school attitudes but from some of the people who were in charge back then and not something i personally ever agreed with but that's how it was and that's the the game you had to play back then there's one faction who shouldn't have been in the locker room the nexus should have been in the locker room the core shouldn't have been in the locker room you know? <laughs> i agree with that oh what a what a downslide that was from the highs of Nexus and suddenly I'm in the core. Well, wow. it's still to this day I, I beat myself up about how that happened. <laughs> well, we'll we talk, can laugh about it now. We, we can laugh about it now. Yeah, I figured it was okay to make a core joke this mm. late. You know, it's it's not like it's too soon at this point. <laughs> oh, I'm numb to it at this point. I've heard it all. Believe me. <laughs> well, we'll we'll go back to the beginning of Nexus a little bit. Like, what what do you remember most about the day of that initial invasion angle? Um, so it was interesting because I'd won NXT season one the week before. Yep. Um, all we knew as, as guys on NXT season one was that one of us out of the eight was going to win the show uh, and get a contract to be a WWE superstar. The rest of us, we had no idea what the remaining seven were going to do. So I knew I was good. I'd won NXT season one. I'm good. I'm getting a contract. And they brought me to Raw. Uh, and then they, all the other guys were texting me, hey, we're coming to Raw too. And I didn't really know what they were planning and most of the day we didn't know what they were planning we were in miami for it we were very excited by it wow we're getting a big opportunity here this is very cool especially the other seven guys who thought they might be on the scrap heap they suddenly rose wait a minute we're in the we're in the main event here we're attacking john cena my my career might be okay after all give me that armband um, so yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and we they handed those out they didn't really explain what the end was at that point it was just we want you guys to wear these and okay whatever so it was kind of they they gave us as little information as they could we didn't realize at that point how crazy it would look on tv with us smashing the ring up and pulling back the canvas and pulling out the boards and tearing the ropes down now you got to remember as young wrestlers for the previous i think i've been wrestling about six years at that point and most of the other guys were similar one of the things you have to do as an up-and-coming wrestler is put up the ring before the show take the ring down so we'd seen a, a half destroyed ring a million times at that point it was completely normal towards but i don't think the wwe universe at any point had ever seen a ring other than one that was in perfect condition you know you, the, the show starts it's in perfect condition the show goes off air it's still in perfect condition occasionally once in a blue moon the ring there'll be a stump where the ring collapses and some giant does a 
suplex off the top rope or something like that. Very, very rarely. But again, it didn't quite look how it looked when we smashed the thing up. So that was something that was I was kind of numb to at first until we watched it back um, and saw the reaction of the crowd and how they were responding, the shock look on their faces and the utter carnage that was out there. So it was one of those really rare events in professional wrestling where something that had never been seen before was actually done. Um, and that was really the, the trashing of the ring, um, which had never been captured on TV before. Yeah, I, it's funny that you say that about the, the ring always being such like in pristine condition because I was at SummerSlam when Brock Lesnar did the, the tractor thing and uh -huh. you don't realize it until you see the ring all out of whack and then you're like whoa this is crazy like the whole the whole <laughs> place was emptying out the whole stadium leaving and this the ring is like up diagonal in the air and i was like this is so cool like this is not something you see uh very often so i can imagine yeah like that i didn't think about it but that is partly why it's been something that has been uh, that, that's lasted the test of time because i think I think it's going to be one of the most remembered angles of all time for forever. Like it's one of those things that people will remember happened or at least talk about in WWE history forever. Yeah, I still get it to this day. The two things I get approached about constantly, of course, is the, the Nexus attack and that day one, how amazing it was and how we shook the industry up and got everybody talking. And then, of course, the other one is I, I get people yelling, I got bad news all the time. They'll be driving past me. I'll be in the street and stuff like that. People love hitting that one. So those are my two things from my career that people I don't think will ever forget, which is pretty cool to have a couple of things like that. Since I've been requesting you for so long, and then we were finally able to make this happen since you're on SmackDown now, I, uh, <laughs> I, I Adam, who's on the call, I, he's on the East Coast, so he texted me to confirm that you were doing the interview. But I woke up to a text message first to him saying, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. And I was still kind of half asleep. And I like look at it and I was like, oh man, like what's happening? And then I was like, it's it's Wade Barrett. Got it. Okay, got it. Like it took, <laughs> it took me a second for sure. Whose idea was it to bring that character to TV? Um, the, the idea to bring it to TV was actually Vince's, I think. Um, so I'd been doing the character for a little while on something called the JBL and Cole show. Oh, I remember the JBL and show. Cole show. I watched it. A lot of fun. I was a, kind of at a loose end in my career and uh, wasn't really going anywhere. I was kind of in a what we call a mechanic role at that point in my career where I was basically in there to work with other people who had a storyline and I was kind of a backdrop for them. Um, but this was something we were, this quirky show, uh, JBL and Michael Cole had a show that they were hosting on WWE.com. Um, and they got a bunch of the guys in there and said, hey, you ain't doing too much on the show at the moment. You want to just try this quirky, zany show we've got? You can be whoever you want. And um, Cody was on there. Um, I think Renee Young was on there. There was just, you know, various people darting in and out of the show. Pete Slater uh, was a big said, one you know, on that show. He was, Clem Layfield, of course. Yes, and, uh, yeah, they came Layfield. to me and said, would you like to be a part of it? And um, Cody, for a couple of years, had been telling stories about how I was this really old guy. He, Cody's a real BSer in the locker room. And he'd been telling stories to everyone how he used to watch me when he was a kid and I was on TV wrestling hard-boiled Haggerty. And I was uh, I, I would just come out and give out bad news. And I was called Bad News Barrett. I don't know where he, hell he pulled this from. Uh, but they came up to me and said, do you want to be part of the show? You know, if you can think of a zany character you want to do. And I was like, yeah, I'll just be bad news, Barrett. I'll just come in. I'll give people bad news. So perfect. Cody's on there. First person I gave bad news to, Cody. And then the next week, give bad news. And that's all I was doing, just coming up. Hey, I've got some bad news, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it ended up, it started getting some traction with the fan base that were watching this show. And if you went on YouTube after it, all the comments were, I've got bad news. I've got bad news. And everyone was typing it up there. So jbl got very excited about it he took it to vince mcmahon in one of the meetings and, and showed him hey look at this we've got this character and vince loved it and he kept playing it over and over again apparently i wasn't aware of any of this happening and he'd be stopping the meetings in the middle of putting the the raw and smackdown shows together hey play, play that bad news barrett thing yeah so he just fell in love with it and then as soon as he saw that he's like okay we're gonna have Wade do that from now on he's just gonna come out and keep giving out bad news and uh, that seemed to then catch fire and uh, take me in a whole different arc of my career. I had no idea Cody Rhodes was the initial impetus of Bad News Barrett. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he talks a lot of nonsense, Cody. I haven't seen him in a few years at this point. Uh, 
We haven't crossed paths, obviously, with his injury. He's really having at the moment. Looking forward to catching up with him at some point. Uh, but yeah, he's a, a creative genius, as you would expect from the son of the American dream, Dusty Rose, one of my mentors and one of my coaches during my career. Great man. And uh, Cody's definitely inherited some of that genius, too, when it comes to the zany ideas in his head. Yeah, I had good. I, when I saw you tweet about JBL uh, being on SmackDown this week and how it was like uh, JBL and Cole uh, memories, I was like, oh, yeah, man, I used to love that show. Because that was even like, God, like the internet was very different at that time. Like there wasn't a million YouTube shows, there was like a couple YouTube shows, or I, they were, I, they might even, were they on YouTube or WWE.com? So I think they were on .com and then yeah. they shifted over to YouTube because they got better numbers on YouTube. But I, I really think that was uh, a groundbreaking show in that regard. I think there's a lot of, especially independent wrestlers these days, try and do something similar. Some of the guys who are wrestling in Japan and in other companies, they've kind of got their own quirky shows like this. And people realized, perhaps for the first time, that this was an avenue that you could debut a character and get some traction in. Uh, Bad News Barrett was the first ever WWE creation um, in terms of a character that was formed solely online and had success online and then had so much success online that it then transitioned to the main show. And that was something that made, I think, the company look at WWE.com and things they can do on YouTube very differently. And if you look how they utilize those avenues now and monetize them, I think the company is a very different place to it, the one it was in probably 2013 when we we started doing that JBL and Cole show. I wholeheartedly agree. I think that that, the Long Island, IZ, like those ones definitely made them go like, hmm, this got talent over and it wasn't even on TV. Like maybe we should like do more things like that. So yeah, yeah. I, I, absolutely. Because now you see it and like they they clearly understand the power of YouTube now and, and social media and stuff. And so it, it's been interesting to see that whole transformation from, you know, way back then. Of course, and that's, again, going back to something we talked about earlier, that's another piece of advice I sometimes give to some of the guys and girls down in NXT if they're not getting any traction with a character on TV. Hey, I'm, I'm being used on TV occasionally, but again, I'm just a backdrop for other people. Um, you know, if you've got any advice, that's one of the things I tell them, look, come up with this character, do some stuff on Instagram videos, uh, put it up on Twitter, and uh, there's a couple of guys, Malik Blade and Idris Anofe, who have done a lot of that kind of stuff, and I think they've been really entertaining with their social media work, with their um, videos and stuff, and they've just started to get a little bit of traction on NXT TV now, so big things are beginning to happen for them. Uh, in part because they've shown the levels of personality and confidence and uh, charisma that they have through these videos that they've been putting up on their social media. And I think that's been a big help to them. Um, and now they're the number one contenders for the NXT tag titles against Pretty Deadly. So something to look forward to and big things are starting to finally happen in their careers. I, I give that same advice to people at times because I think that, you know, it's easy to get to be like, oh, I want to be the best wrestler, you know, act like I'm the best wrestler. But it's like, well, yeah, but anyone like I shouldn't say anyone, but that's like what everyone's there for. Anyways, you have to have something like on top of that, you know, so so yeah. I, I yeah, I think the same thing. Like if you feel passionate about about your character, like go create some online content like you've got your phone, just do it. And the great thing about online is that you can put some stuff up that's absolutely terrible. And it might not connect. And people might think, God, that was absolutely garbage. It doesn't actually affect your career. You know what? Just delete it. It's not, it's not something that's living on TV yet. So it's not like it's negatively going to affect you there. You can just try stuff. Film some stuff at home. Get your, your buddies in training to, to film it with you. Come up with these zany, quirky situations. Um, and if it connects, great. And if it doesn't, you haven't lost anything. You're still in the same position in terms of your TV character and, and where you're going career-wise. All right, well, we've reached the end of the show here, but I like to end every episode of the show with a segment that I call... Did I do it right? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> call go. it the All finishing right, move. There it is. A little delayed, but we got it. We're good to go. <laughs> segment I call the finishing move, where I talk to my guests about their finishing moves. Who was your favorite person to hit the bull hammer on and why? Uh, favorite to hit the bull hammer on, I would have to say Kofi Kingston because, uh, number one, it always looked amazing when he took it. Ah, uh, you know what? I've got to put two. I can't just do one. There's two people who were brilliant at taking, um, the bull hammer. One was Kofi Kingston. The other one was Dolph Ziggler. 
Um, they both made it look incredible every time. And to me, those were the kind of guys that when I was beating a Kofi Kingston or I was beating a Dolph Ziggler, they were very high up on the card. And I knew, wow, I'm having a really, really big moment just by beating those guys. In my career, it didn't happen too often. It wasn't that common that I would be beating somebody of their stature. So to get wins against them was huge, and, and they made it look good in the process. So definitely, Kofi and Dolph, I owe them a lot of thanks for um, the way they took the bull hammer and made me look good. It's. I feel like those two guys don't get enough credit for the fact that they're still pumping from that time period. Like they're still pumping, and they're they're pumping out such good matches still, and they yeah. they look like they did then. Like it's so impressive. And they never hurt either. Like, I had a couple of surgeries during my career. You're supposed to have surgeries, especially guys like that. They are a pair of workhorses. Um, and I don't want to curse them here, such wood it continues. But they are just unbelievably durable athletes. Um, the respect that they have in the locker room is unparalleled. Um, people love those guys. And guaranteed Hall of Famers one day. And, uh, yeah, definitely some of the happiest times that I had in my career was stepping in the ring with those two. Just two brilliant guys. Did you like your Wasteland finisher? I loved it. Man, I loved that move. And um, I thought it was a fantastic, rarely seen move, okay? A lot of people online hated it. I get added in a lot of lists, the, the worst finisher of all time. I sometimes get him put, put in there because of the Wasteland. I would say the only thing I didn't like about the Wasteland was that when it came to hitting on bigger guys like... I almost broke my spine trying to hit it on Mark Henry once. Don't ever look that video up. It's horrible. Uh, I dropped Mark on his head. He wasn't very happy with me. And that was in my early days with the company too. We we smoothed things out and he became a very good friend in the end. But um, yeah, that was a, a little rough. But I will say this, um, Ariana Grace, who's in NXT, she's somebody who unfortunately has just gone in for surgery. She's picked up an injury. Hopefully she'll be back soon. Uh, but she started doing her version of the Wasteland and first of all, she came to me and said, hey, would you mind if I if I use this move? I used to like the way you do it. I was like, of course. Wow, how, how cool was that? That she came up to me and, and asked me, uh, here's what I don't like. She actually does it better than I did. She's figured out a way of doing it where she goes down with it. Uh, it looks even better than, than how I did it. So maybe if I can go back in time, I'd kind of do Ariana Grace's version rather than my own version because I, as much as I hate to admit it, the youngster has improved on, on my way of doing it. Well, she did get to see you do it for a long time. So she's just, you know, yeah. it's working off of what she's seen for so long. And you know what? I've always felt like the Wasteland is, is a good move, too. Like, I've seen it on those lists, and it wasn't until I saw it on those lists that I realized wrestling fans felt that way at times because I also thought it was a cool move. Like, it, it's not bad at all, and I feel like it gets uh, – it's not fair, the, the hate that it gets at times. Yeah, I used to get a lot of flack for it. Um, I So I came back in 2012. I had a uh, an injury. I broke my arm in 2012. And I came back a few months later. And when I was coming back from my return, Triple H pulled me to one side and said, hey, we don't want you doing the wasteland anymore as your finisher. You can keep it as a move. We want you to come up with something else. So then begins the head scratching. Oh, God, what else can I do? I can't go to the top rope and do all these backflips like the, the cool cruiserweight guys do. And I'm not a powerhouse like Brock Lesnar, so I can't do that stuff. What can I actually do? Sheamus is already doing the, the bro kick. Um, and it, it's actually a really stressful thing to try and come up with a finisher. And I, I came up with the bull hammer from there. I realized nobody was really using something like that as a finisher at that point. My initial plan um, was to do it kind of with a ripcord set up and i was going to use it more as a uh, kind of a stan stasiak heart punch so i was going to do the bull hammer to the heart that was my big pitch to triple h when i came back a, a week later with my big idea and uh, we walked through it in the ring a couple of times before the show and he was like yeah i like it i love the setup the heart punch though i'm not really into that in this day and age i just want you to hit him in the head with it so i started doing it to the head at that point and i will say it's you know that in contrast to the wasteland uh, people always used to put the bull hammer up on like the list of best striking finishes. So I feel like Triple H did me a real solid there, making me come up with a new finisher and pushing me to do something better. And that was something that um, for that kind of second run in my career as Bad News Barrett, uh, that was something that the bull hammer was really synonymous with me at that point and uh, was something I'm very glad I ended up utilizing. Yeah, bull hammer ruled. Big, big fan of the bull hammer. I always had that as like my finishing move in the video games. So, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and lastly, what's the most memorable time that you hit your finishing move on someone? 
Oh man, most memorable time. Um, I would say probably it was it was something we did with um, Ray Mysterio. I thought I think you did a little clip of it earlier in the show, or it might have been a photo of it. But um, the I think it must have been twenty. 13, either 2013 or 2014, um, I came back. I, I'd been doing Bad News Barrett promos for, it felt like, three or four months. And all I was doing on the show was a promo. I'd go up on my podium, which was a lot of fun. I would never get in the ring. I would never attack anybody. I'd just go up on my podium, yell at the crowd, give them some bad news, go back down, and then go off to the next time. That's all I was doing. Um, but then I think it was the Raw after WrestleMania in New Orleans. We're thinking about it now. It was 2014. Uh, Raw after WrestleMania, I hadn't been in the ring now for about six months. Um, and then they brought me back that night and said, okay, you're going to have your big Bad News Barrett return in ring tonight. And they put me up against Rey Mysterio, of all people, absolute living legend, fantastic human being too. Um, and it was my only win of my career that I got against Rey Mysterio. It was a pretty short match. Um, and I caught him up in the ropes at one point, hit the bull hammer there. So I'd say... Beating Rey Mysterio with that bull hammer was probably uh, my favorite one I ever hit. Hell yeah, love it. And that helps me because now I know which one you were talking about. I can go pull that clip. Perfect. Even pinpointed <laughs> which one it was for me. Uh, Wade, appreciate it so much, dude. Like, I'm a huge fan of yours. You know I have been for a while. And so I'm really glad I got to pick your brain here. This was a super fun conversation. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on, Ryan. Always good to chat with you. Yep. Have a good one. All right, that was my conversation with Wade Baird. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Before we get out of here, though, you know I got to do a little bit of housekeeping. Make sure that you are subscribed to the Out of Character podcast feed. That's where you can get this show in audio form only if you're on the go, driving, working out, eating, cooking, whatever. Make sure that you're subscribed to the Out of Character podcast feed because you're not just getting this show there no you're getting more than that you're also getting the ron smackdown roundup podcast that i do every week breaking each show down segment by segment every week giving you my thoughts on everything that happened and a lot has been happening lately so these uh roundups have gone from 20 minutes to like 45 minutes because i've got a lot to talk about every week Please listen to those because I'm talking to myself and it helps when I'm talking to you and you're listening. So go subscribe to the Add a Character podcast feed. And if you are watching on video right now, make sure you subscribe to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. That's where you can find, obviously, this video, the, the Add a Character on video every week. But also, if you're not subscribed to this channel right now and you're watching it on YouTube, you're missing out on a bunch of content. There's YouTube shorts. There's clips from Ron Smackdown. Uh, there's clips from this show. There's a whole community tab. A lot is happening. So make sure that you subscribe to the WWE on Fox YouTube channel. And also make sure you're following WWE on Fox on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. We're all over social media. So make sure you're following WWE on Fox there to stay up to date on everything that's happening. All right, that's it. I'm done. Officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this is Out of Character.